Well, good morning, church. I'm Pastor Steve, and I'm so pleased to be welcomed into your homes again this week. And as we worship together, and this continues to go on this time of isolation, but yet we can join and, and together, isn't it wonderful? And I just want you to know that you are loved. We've been praying for you. Uh, we, uh, we're here for you, as Pastor Eric has mentioned. And, and just thank you for all your encouragement. And uh, we're looking forward to seeing you together soon. I hope you had a great Easter week. You know, Easter's just not a day. Easter's actually a season. Easter's a lifestyle. And so hopefully this last week was a great week for you celebrating the resurrection of our Lord. You enjoyed the sun, the warmth, and the snow. And I know that wasn't maybe a, a surprise that you were caring to have, but uh, those things come along. But uh, we, we were just uh, thrilled that you're here this morning with us as we look at God's word together. You know, it was um, the 1960s, and I was, I was a youngster at the time, and I, I was old enough to remember a lot of what was going on, depending on whether it was the beginning or the end of the decade. But it was a, another time in our country where things were... Um, unsettled. Uh, there was restlessness. There was uh, anger and, and hurt and all these tragedies that would come in to our nation at that time. The assassination of a president. The assassination of, of, a, of a president uh, candidate. The assassination of Martin Luther King Jr. The Vietnam War and so many things that were going on there in the 60s that were really tearing our nation apart, tearing our people apart, building walls between people. And it was about that time, in fact, it was 1970, that there was a young man, a young up-and-coming Christian a songwriter, his name was Bill Gaither, wrote a song that kind of vi just, was, just was, it hit the chords with people in the church, and it was a song that has, has rung true through, the, through 50 years now, and it's one of those that we even find in our hymnals, and it simply goes, and you know it, I'm so glad I'm a part of the family of God. I've been washed in the fountain, cleansed by his blood. Join heirs with Jesus as we travel this sod, for I'm part of the family, the family of God. And you probably sang along with me there, some of you gray hairs that remember that song, but you know, it was one that just kind of spoke to us, that somehow in the midst of being pulled apart, somehow in the midst of the tragedy, somehow in the midst of everything that was going on, we were family. We're in this together. And that's kind of what this new series is about. The book of Ephesians, family ties. It's reminding us that we are one. We, no matter how diverse, have been called as part of God's family. And through this passage, through this book, Paul will share a little bit of what that means. And, but today, before we, before we get there, I just, I just want to reflect and, and re ask the question, you know, how did we become part of this family? And really to answer that question, we really need to go back to last week. Last week, uh, Matthew chapter 28, when Jesus uh, was coming out of the grave and revealing himself to the women and then revealing himself to the disciples. And we see this risen Christ that has come. And then we read later 
at the end of that chapter of 28 where Jesus and his disciples are up in Galilee on a mountain. And Jesus has this to say to them in Matthew 28, 18. You know it well. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. This, folks, is a game changer. This is a, a shift and not an insignificant shift in what would happen in the lives of these disciples. You know, these disciples were, they weren't world travelers. In fact, in the, the years they had been with Jesus, they'd either been up in Galilee and Nazareth or down in Jerusalem and the surrounding communities. Oh, every now and then they'd pass through Samaria. But that was it. And here now Jesus is saying, this thing is not local. This thing is global. You are to go into all the world. I can imagine that was a bit of a shock to them. I can imagine if, if they were like us or we were like them, you know, the first thing you think is how can this happen? I know what we would do. We would say, well, we, we need to form a committee. If we're going to reach the world, we've got to figure out how we do it. So we form a committee. And the first thing the committee tells us is we need money. And so we go out and we start getting another committee to raise funds. And then the committee tells us that we need, we need trained evangelists. So we, we send young men and young women to, to colleges and then to seminaries. And, and then we prepare them. And then we figure out where we can go, where, where's available, where's acceptable, where's God leading. And, you know, maybe in a decade we might get there. Well, God wasn't willing to wait a decade. And so uh, God kind of forced the issue on the disciples. In fact, if you read through Acts, you see that there was, um, there was pressure, there was persecution put upon the disciples and the Christians such that they scattered and spread the word. But the Bible also tells us that one of the individuals that, were doing, that was doing that persecution was a man named Saul. And in fact, in Acts chapter 9, we see that Saul has a personal encounter with Jesus Christ. And Acts 9.15 says this, This man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. This man that we were introduced to as Saul, which was his Hebrew name, we now know as Paul, his Greek name, was chosen by God to be the leader of going out and fulfilling this great commission of preaching to all nations. And he specifically says, I'm going to send him to the Gentiles and to their kings and to the people of Israel. So Paul begins this journey of preaching the gospel all around the world. And there was one city in particular, the city that we're going to be reading about in these next few weeks, it was the city of Ephesus. 
We see a map here of, of Ephesus and, and where it would have been. You see Jerusalem and Antioch, where Paul would have left from. Paul went on several missionary journeys. He went on the first missionary journey where he went up and, and preached the gospel. And he went on the second journey and he came around and he came back, was headed back to Antioch and he made a little pit stop at Ephesus. Just a real short stop, dropped off some of people of his entourage and he went on back to Antioch. But then we're told he did a third missionary journey. And in that third journey, he traveled from Antioch by land up and came to Ephesus. And the scripture tells us that he spent almost three years there in that country or in that city. Ephesus was an important port city. And you can see there that it's, it's, it's also an important traveling city. It was a, port, 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 a, a place of trade, a great trade. And Paul went there to preach the gospel. We're told in Acts 19 that he came in. The first thing he saw was some, some men who were a little confused about what they would understand about the gospel. And he says, have you, have you received the Holy Spirit? And they, they said, no, what's or who is the Holy Spirit? And Paul shared with them and they received the Holy Spirit. We're told that he went into the synagogue and he preached there uh, two, three months and many people were convinced they believed because of his powerful persuasion. But it wasn't long until the, the Jews within the synagogue there were concerned and, and forced Paul out. And so he went to the hall of Tyrannus, a public auditorium, where for two years, for two years, he would preach the gospel he would share the good word. In fact, we're told that, that in verse 10 of chapter 19, that all the Jews and the Greeks who lived in the province of Asia heard the word of the Lord. Because of Paul's preaching, all the Jews, all the Greeks, everyone who was in Asia heard the word of the Lord. Can you imagine? No television. No Facebook. No tweeting, no Instagram, none of that. And yet Paul, from that hall, was able to preach and to share, and that word went out all through Asia. And Paul wasn't just any ordinary man. In fact, if you read in those next two verses in chapter 19, it said Paul was powerful and God was doing some mighty miracles through him. It says that even handkerchiefs or aprons that happened to touch Paul could be taken to the sick and to those demon-possessed, and they'd be healed, they'd be delivered. The word of God was getting out and being spread. In fact, when Paul had his final meeting with those elders in Ephesus, he declared this in Acts 20, 21. He says, I have declared to both Jews and Greeks that they must turn to God in repentance and have faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. And then he left. Then, about 10 years later, Paul sits down in prison, most likely a Roman prison, to write a letter to these people he dearly loved. His family. The Christians there at Ephesus. And he begins this book with Two verses of introduction, I, Paul, and who he's writing to. But then he starts on this incredible praise to the Lord. 
Verses 13 through 14, 12 verses where he's pouring out his heart of praise to God. Very interesting. In the Greek, that's all one sentence (laughs) or one very long sentence. 14, 12 verses. Most of our English Bibles have that divided up into at least seven, eight, nine uh, sentences just to help us to understand. But Paul is filled with praise. He just goes on and on and on. And here's what he says. We're reading this from Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 through 12. It goes like this. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us for adoption into sonship through Jesus Christ, in accordance with his pleasure and will, to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. In him, we have redemption through his blood and forgiveness of sins, in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us. With all wisdom and understanding, he has made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ. To be put into effect when the times reach their fulfillment, to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. In him we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will. In order that we, who were the first to put our hope in Christ, might be for the praise of his glory. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of the truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is depositing, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. Amen. You know, last week, we asked several questions. They started off was, uh, where were the disciples? Then we said, where was Jesus? And we concluded by, where are you? Today, Paul is answering, I think, in these verses, another question. It's a question that I think we all ask, and and it's a question that we need an answer to. And it's this, where was God? Where was God in all of this? Where was God when Jesus was hanging on the cross? Even Jesus himself said, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Where are you? And we, people today are asking, where's God? Where's God? And in this, in this passage, Paul is pouring out his heart in a praise to God. And he's saying that, hey, God is up to something. God is up to something. And don't miss it. Don't miss what God may be doing in this world. Don't miss what God may be doing in your lives. And so Paul begins to talk about these spiritual blessings. And he starts in verse 4 by saying, For he chose us before the creation of the world. 
He said here, God was choosing us long before, long before we were born, long before we came to know him, long before the, the world was even placed into existence. God had a plan. God was working. Don't miss it. And then he goes on and says, well, what was he choosing us for? Was he choosing us to be saved? No, no, no. He says this, he chose us to be holy and blameless in his sight. The good news is where was God? Well, God had a plan and he's had a plan. It's, ha it's a plan that's been in place from, be from before the foundations of the earth were laid. He has a plan. And it's to have a holy people before him. It's to gather a family of holy hands who are blameless in his sight. But, you know, one of the questions we may ask here is, who's us? Who's us? But because the good news is, there's even better news. Not only does God have a plan, but God's plan includes us if we're part of us. What's obvious throughout his writings, especially when you get into the Ephesians, that when Paul is making this argument of God's plan and, and what he is revealing, it always, always is God has expanded his kingdom. And that God now is including those who before were not included. And that us is those who weren't included before. And it's the Gentiles. In fact, later in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 6, he says this. This is God's plan. This is God's plan. Both Gentiles and Jews who believe in the good news share equally in the riches inherited by God's children. You see, God's plan all along was to bring everyone, the whole world. He died for the world. He sent the disciples to the world, and it was to bring the world to him. He chose us. We're adopted. We weren't originally included. And it was God's plan. It was predestined. Now, boy, I know when we get into these words chosen and predestined, it can, it can, it can get very confusing, and, and different Christians differ on their interpretations on this. But as friends, we believe, and we, we believe, we read this passage how we believe the, the Jews and the Gentiles in that day would have read it. They were saying, you, the Gentiles, you are now part of God's plan and it was predestined. You have been chosen from the beginning. That was God's plan. You have, you are part of it. Not that, not that you, Joe, or you, Mary, or you, Fred, or whatever, you three, you haven't, it's not that you three have been picked. It's, this is corporate. Let me, let me think of it this way. This morning, you've been part of predestination whether you know it or not. You know, it was predestined this first half hour of what you would watch. There was a mind greater than my mind, Seth, our music minister, our, our worship minister, who planned meticulously the songs that would be sung, the keys that they would be in, how many verses we would do, the order of the songs. And when you turned in this morning, that was already planned. It was already predestined. All of you that watched and tuned in were predestined to see those songs, predestined to see those, those words, to hear those tunes because it had been planned in advance. But you chose 
to tune in. You had free will to tune in. But now you are part of those who've been chosen to hear the predestined music of Friends Church this morning. I hope that helps maybe a little bit to try to understand that, that God has a plan that has been predestined. It has been from before the foundations of the earth. And that's a blessing. Welcome to the family, brothers and sisters. Welcome to the family, you Gentiles. Welcome to the family, you who have previously been considered unclean. Welcome to the family, you who are despised. Welcome to the family, you who are lowly. Welcome to the family this morning, you who are hurting, feeling unworthy. Welcome to the family. That was God's plan from the beginning. God has a plan God's plan includes us. And it includes some great, great spiritual blessings. Some more spiritual blessings we read in verse 7. In him we have redemption through his blood. The forgiveness of sins in accordance to the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us. We Gentiles included, have been redeemed. That redeemed is we've been bought back. A ransom has been paid. We are no longer held captive to the sin. We've been freed from that by that ransom that's been paid, and we are now part of the family of God because of the blood of Jesus Christ, verse 7 says. But not only have we been redeemed, we've been forgiven. What a blessing that's poured out on his family. We've been forgiven both from our sins and from our sin. Spiritual blessings that come to those who are part of the family of God that he has chosen from the beginning to pour out upon those who would come. But there's one more exciting thing that, that Paul's sharing here. And he says, not only has God has a plan, not only does the plan include us, but he's let us in on it. He's let us listen to this verse 9. He says, with all wisdom and understanding, he made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ. I think, I think Paul loves that word mystery. You start looking through his letters it appears again and again and again. In Romans, as he's laying out doctrine and teaching us about this, this love of Christ and, and, and the plan of God, he mentions it again to those, those in Corinth and, and Corinthians and, 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 and Ephesians here. We see it at least eight or nine times. Paul mentions this word mystery, depending on the version you're reading. And, and then in Colossians again, we see this, this mystery, this, this what God is doing behind the scenes. God has been at work, you just haven't seen it, and he's kept it hush-hush. <laughs> In Romans chapter 16, verse 25, Paul says it this way, the message about Jesus Christ has revealed his plan for you Gentiles. A plan kept secret from the beginning of time. He says this plan that was put in place before the foundations of the world were laid. And in Romans here, he says, from the beginning of time, it's been kept a secret. As God worked his plan, 
as he worked his plan, as he got himself a people, a holy people, of which a Messiah could be raised up from, who could live that perfect life, who could die for our sins, who could rise again so that we could have eternal life, and that eternal life could be given to everyone who believes. That's his plan. Later, those verses I read from Ephesians chapter 3, 5 and 6, 5 says this, God did not reveal it to previous generations, but now by his spirit, he has revealed it to the holy apostles and the prophets. And this is God's plan. Both Jews, the Gentiles and Jews who believe the good news share equally in the riches of his inherited by God's children. So Paul has answered the question, where was God? Where was God when Jesus was hanging on the tree? He was working his plan. Where was God back in the Old Testament when the Gentiles were, were, were pagan people and, and he was pulling out a people of his own, a people he could make holy, a people who could be separate? He was working his plan. Where was God when Jesus was being raised from the dead? He was working his plan. And now he's included us. He's clued us in. Here's my plan. It's that the Gentiles should know. It's that the world should know. It's every creature should know. The plan is let's expand our territory. All, all should know about this good news of Lord Jesus Christ. It began with the Jews in verse 12, Paul says, he says this, in, in order that we, the Jews, who were first put to our hope in Christ, might be for the praise of his glory. And then he goes on, and you, Gentiles, also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. And so in this church in Ephesus, throughout Asia, we see this beautiful mixture of, of Jewish Christians, of Gentile Christians, those who are the old timers and those who are the newcomers, worshiping together, serving God, spreading that good news as one family, a new family. And over these next weeks, we're going to look at what Paul has to say to this family. How do we live together? How do we serve together? And we'll be looking at how we do that even as we are separated. We all share equally in the riches inherited by God's children. We all inherit together equally what God has for us. In closing... I think, though, to get the heart of Paul, we need to read on a little bit in this first chapter. Paul has been telling us a lot of information. And he does that in Romans when he's laying out this same, some of these same thoughts and, and in Corinthians and other, other places. And it's, it's information. But Paul is never concerned so much about information as he is about transformation. And he closes with a prayer. And he closes with a prayer for these people, these Jews who are now believers in Christ, 
These Gentiles, pagans, who are now believers in Christ. And he prays for him. And he starts off in verse 17 when he says this. I keep, keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. He says, I keep asking God so that you could know him better. He goes on in 18, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people and his incomparably great power for those who believe. To really understand what Paul is saying here, you need to know the difference between know and know. Paul is not saying we need to know in intellect more about Christ. We don't need to know him better intellectually. And intellectually to know the hope is not what he wants. Paul wants us to experience God in a greater way. You may, may be wondering why I've got this jug up here this morning. This is a jug that I can read what it says, and it says on here, pure Ohio maple syrup. And I know that's what it is because when we bought it, it was on the shelf of syrup, and it says pure Ohio maple syrup. And so I trust those who have bottled it, who prepared it, and who made it. But I've never experienced it. You know, it's one thing to know intellectually. It's another to know in your heart, to know for sure, to experience the truth. I can know because other people have told me Or I can know because I've tasted it, I've tried it, I've experienced it myself. Folks, this is real maple syrup. Psalm 34.8 says, Come, taste and see that the Lord is good. Over these next weeks, as we get into this book of Ephesians, as we, as we see what it is to be God's people and God's family, don't let it be an intellectual. Oh, yeah, we've been chosen. Paul says, you've got to take deeper than that. You've got to know Christ. You've got to know him better. You need to know the hope that he's called you to. You need to know the riches of his glorious inheritance and that incomparably great power to those who believe. That's what it's like to be part of the family. And we all are part of God's family because he was working behind the scenes all the time for this moment. And we all have that call to share that with others around the world. Let's pray.
Father, we thank you for your mercies. Lord, we thank you for your spiritual blessings. We thank you, Lord, that you have adopted us. You have brought us into your family. Lord, we thank you that you have redeemed us. And we thank you that you have forgiven us. And then, Lord, we thank you for the gift of your Holy Spirit that empowers us to know you more, to know the power of your presence in our lives. Lord, we've tasted you, and we know that you are good. Help us now as we seek this week to serve you, knowing that we are indeed part of your family that you have blessed us, you have provided an inheritance for us. Lord, help us to live like children of the King as we serve you in our homes, in our places at work, wherever we may be. And we'll give you praise and honor in that powerful, precious name of Jesus. Amen. In the next few minutes, you're going to see some questions scrolling on the screen there in your homes. And I encourage you as, as families, or even if you're alone, to consider these questions if you're with others to discuss them. Maybe you'd even like to call somebody up. But in 15 minutes, please join Pastor Eric in the cafe, uh, that online cafe, as uh, you can follow up on the message today. You can... Um, Discuss other things that may be on your heart, your mind, but just use this as a point of connection. And this week, go and serve him, even if it's in your homes. And remember, you're part of the family, the family of God. Bill Gaither, in the first verse, says, you'll notice we say brother and sister around here. It's because we're a family, and these folks are so dear. When one has a heartache, we all shed the tears and rejoice in his victory in this family so dear. May we together, brothers and sisters, serve our Lord. We'll see you next Sunday.